Father, help us to hear. Father, it's a troubling time for the Bride of Christ. But Father, I look through history and it has always been a troubling time for the Bride of Christ. Father, let us not, uh, as the writer of Hebrews says, grow weary of doing good. Father, may we rest upon Your sovereign power and Your sovereign grace. Lord, may we each stand in the person of Jesus Christ. May we each understand that we behold as in a mirror transforming power of Your Spirit that we may understand that we decrease and our Lord and our Savior increases. May we fall more in love with You with every breath You grace us. But may we fight the good fight. May we run the race with endurance. May we not be entangled with the silliness of this temporal world. We love You. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. We are going through these men, and I, I wanted us to understand this because it starts off, it says he calls them disciples, and that means that they were learners. And once they become learners, they are sent out and they are now apostles. Every single one of you is that way. You are at some point in your life learning, and you are learning for one single reason. To be sent out, to be used. I cannot tell you exactly when it happened. I can't say a certain individual did something to cause it to happen. But at some point, the church moved away from making disciples to making converts. I, I can't give you an instance that said that this happened and therefore boof it. Here we are. I do know that what we are reaping what we have sown. It's, it's tragic because it, it, the evangelical body, the true body of Christ seems to have absolutely no discernment. Uh, people can just say something and we just smile and agree. And it's just frustrating. Now, we will do it under the, 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 the guise of saying, well, we're trying to get along. We're trying to be inclusive. We're not, we don't want to cause problems. John 17, Jesus said we would be one. So therefore, let's all be one. And I don't care what kind of clown you are. And when I look at John 17, that is the ongoing ministry of Jesus Christ. People say, well, what's Jesus doing now that he's in heaven? John 17. That's what he's doing. We are one. You stand in this book, in the power of the Spirit of the living God, guess what? You're one. I rem now listen, you think about it for a second. How many of you heard this? Doctrine divides. Okay? If you be, if you get dogmatic in your doctrine, you'll be divisive. You know what? That's a lie from the pit of hell. Doctrine unites. 
It unites. The big move now in the evangelical church is don't put anything in your name that will confront people. And you're like, what the heck does that mean? Well, if you put Baptist in your name, then nobody's going to come because you're Baptist. We used to, we changed it, we went to Bible church. Well, we don't want to use that because that's narrow. Okay, I mean, it used to be Methodist church, Presbyterian church. Why? I knew what you were about. I went to, was going through one of the Carolinas, and there was a, a church that was a Pentecostal free will Baptist church. And I thought, well, that's covering your bases. Okay, and I didn't attend it, but I was like, oh, that, that, I could have a blast there on a Sunday morning. But, but, but you look at this kind of stuff, you know, I, I can read that sign and say, well, I know where you guys are. But we've gotten into this mindset, and, and I want to call it politically correct or whatever you want to call it. But what I am watching, in, and, and I have to be specific now to our community, because I, I, I spend some time here, is... We have a form of godliness and we deny the power. And we even have gotten to the point where I can kind of adjust my moral standards and compensate it to the things of God. Okay, because I remember when they passed, the, the Supreme Court passed the thing over uh, same-sex marriage. I had some people ask me, so what do you think about that? And I said, divorce lawyers are going all the way to the bank with a big grin on their face. Okay? Uh, I grew up in a time when they said, they kept yelling at us, that you cannot legislate morality. Now we can legislate immorality. And it's kind of fascinating to me. And, 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 and I listened to the church all of a sudden saying, what does all of this mean? Well, we're reaping what we sow. I shared this this morning in our Sunday school class. I was debating on whether I should today in our worship. And I'm going to because I'm dealing with the disciples. And I will get to it. But I want you to think about it. Because it starts off with Psalm 148, verses 7 and 8. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all of the depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, Stormy wind fulfilling his word. Okay? You know what he's saying? If you go look at first five verses in front of that, it says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you heavens. Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise the Lord, all of being. Praise the Lord. Even the earth, the sea creatures, all of the depths, the fire and hell, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. I was on a cruise a couple of weeks ago, went down to uh, the Bahamas out of Charleston. And it, it, you, ever, you ever been on an airplane where it's got that little map thing that says you, you've been flying this many miles and you've gotten this far and all, all the rest of it? Well, they had one of those all over the boat that you could look at and say, OK, here's how many nautical miles you've gone and all the rest of them. And it's kind of fascinating for me. The thing that fascinated me the most is something that I've always wanted to do, and that was to cross 
the continental shelf. Now, people don't know what that is. It's just if you take North America, it's right here. Then there's a plane that goes out like this. And then that's where the North American continent stops and it drops off. We crossed that, and I was watching the little screen when it crossed it. And we were running around uh, about 10,000 foot deep below us. And you're like, it's like a lot of water if you got 10,000 feet. As soon as you crossed that shelf, it went to 19,000. And you're like, that's a serious ditch full of water. Okay, now there's some deeper stuff over in the Pacific, but I've always wanted to cross the continental shelf so I could say, okay, what's the depth of it? The psalmist says, even that praises God. And you could see the literal change in the, in the, the water color. I mean, you had this wonderful blue, and then all of a sudden, as soon as you crossed that, it went into this really deep blue. And then you look up at that little map, and it says it's 19,000 feet, and you're like, no, that's like really deep blue. (laughs) Okay? And I just look at that, and I think, wow, that's totally awesome. Let me finish this text that I was reading. Author Jack London wrote a tragic short story called To Build a Fire. It's about a man who froze to death on the Yukon Trail because he could not get his fire lit or keep it burning. It's an illustration of a world that has forgotten to worship. A lot of churches are like big stacks of waterlogged firewood that will never catch fire on their own. The big backlog of church membership has grown cold and the coals have nearly gone out. The fire in many churches is burning low. God is looking for men and women to serve as kindling wood. And if He can't set them on fire, He can bring about revival to the church and set the world on fire with the gospel. He is looking for true worshipers. Kindle a fire of worship in your heart and let the Holy Spirit fan it to flames. God cannot be brought down to us. We can only direct our hearts of worship upward to Him. Let's join the writer of Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him from the heights. Vernon Wally, in a book called Called to Worship, says this, Yes, friends, love God extravagantly, thank Him profusely, and worship Him lavishly. It's missing from the church, people. And I look at these guys here, these 11, and they stagger me. Peter, a fisherman, and his brother, a fisherman. John and his brother, fishermen. Fishermen. They ain't no big deal. They weren't seminary trained. They weren't, oh, I have started a Christian academy. No, man. Normal, everyday, hardworking men. That's all they were. That's all they were. God... Plucked them up. 
Philip and Bartholomew, the theologians, they knew by reading Scripture that a Messiah was coming. That was the depth of their theology. Okay, I remember when I first started reading my Bible, I was not raised in the church, but I remember reading my Bible, and I thought, well, why is there an Old Testament, and why is there a New Testament? That's kind of corny. At least the Old Testament seems to kind of take off and run. Then you got the New Testament, and they've got the same story four times. Didn't make sense to me. This is a corny book. Who wrote this? I mean, and then I listen to people want to tell me who the three wise men were. I watch people who will go see a movie, and a guy came to me and he said, you know that angels like sugar? And I was like, what? He says, yeah, angels like sugar. And there was some movie that was out, and um, Travolta played an angel, and he liked sugar. And so, therefore, my theology is intact. And you're like, well... Well, that's the corniest thing I ever heard in my life. And then I hear other things and realize that that wasn't the corniest thing I've heard in my life. Corny continues to grow. You have a man here, Thomas, whose desperate passion was to be near the Lord. You have Matthew who calls himself a tax collector. You know, they don't say, I'm Simon Peter, the fisherman. But Matthew says, yo, dude, I was a tax collector. I was considered a traitor to my heritage. That gets even crazier if you think about it. And we'll deal with this in a couple of weeks. Simon the Zealot, you don't even want to think about what would Simon the Zealot do a traitor of Israel? We'll deal with that next week. James, son of Alphaeus, I gave you some possibilities last week. It's possible. That him and uh, Matthew were brothers. Possible. Alphaeus is a very common name. Matthew is also called the son of Alphaeus. And Clopas' his mother. Clopas is another form of that word. And Mary was his mother. She was there. So at the crucifixion. So it's very possible that they were brothers. I tell you what. if Don't worry about it right now. When you get to heaven, just go up to him and say, James, were you and Matthew brothers? Very simple. It's not a great, a great tragedy at this point in time. But I want to deal with this guy here. Thaddeus. Thaddeus. Do you realize that victorious Christian living? Okay, now, I know we're here on Sunday morning and we would all just smile at each other and say, I want to be victorious in my Christian walk. And I would say, okay. But then tomorrow shows up. And sometimes, instead of victory, we get our lunch handed to us. Or, hey, you never never know, you may get your lunch handed to you this afternoon. How do I have a victorious Christian life? And I will tell you this emphatically, because I can look at Thaddeus and I understand it completely. It takes an awful lot of courage. I grew up, I will be politically correct here for a moment, with a rebellious streak. I uh, did not want to conform <laughs> to anything, actually. Okay, and, and, and I pursued that. Because I felt like that if you 
conformed and you were like the lemmings who just lets everybody walk over the cliff. So I always fought against it, whatever the norm was. Okay, you show me the norm, I'm going 180 out. That was, that was who I was. Then I became a Christian. And I realized that is about as extreme as you're going to get to walk with Christ. Think about it for a second. Whole world walks with the world. Walk with Christ. This name here in the New American Standard that I'm teaching out of, Thaddeus has, it's almost like he has many identities. The King James calls him Lubius. Okay. If you go to the text of the language, you will find that that is a surname of Thaddeus. Or his surname is Thaddeus, and Lubius was probably his last name. But he's also called, if you go look, I'm not going to go look these up. You can go look them up yourself. In Luke chapter 6, verse 16, and Acts chapter 1, verse 13, that he is called Judas, son of James. Okay? But in John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot. Is how John refers to him. Judas, not Iscariot. Now, when you think about it, who would name their child Judas? That's sort of like I have my little girl here, Jezebel. Okay, meet my oldest son, Lucifer. Okay, he's just not going to do it. But do you know what the word Judas means? It's interesting. It means Jehovah leads. Okay. I would say his name was Judas. That was probably his birth name. But with the episode with Judas Iscariot, he probably wanted to be called something else. Because I'm not going to name my son. Let's meet my son Judas. He betrays. But that's not what it means. It means that Jehovah leads. So Thaddeus and Lubus may have been even nicknames. They may have been, it's, it's sort of like we have Simon Peter. Okay, when Peter was acting in the flesh, he was called Simon. When he was acting in the spirit, we called him Peter. Or in John's case, I never knew what Peter was doing, so I always called him Simon Peter. Thaddeus by the family could be. Now, I'm just going to share with you stuff I've found. I'm not trying to offend anybody. If you're offended, get over it. Thaddeus comes from a Hebrew word that refers to the female breast. <laughs> no, he's not a boob. It means a breast child. Okay? Now, that can refer to it as he maybe was the youngest. Okay? Perhaps he was the youngest of the family. Uh, or... The Hebrew term can also mean 
he was dearest to his mother. Okay? Lubius comes from a Hebrew word that means a heart child. And that's reference to an individual who is courageous. So he was Thaddeus Lubius because he might have been very dear to his mother or the youngest, but he was Lubius because he was very courageous. A heart child. Okay? It could have been given to him as nicknames by friends who saw a man of great boldness and courage who was very young and yet very bold and very courageous. Now, I can tell you what tradition says. Okay, now, you're not going to find this in biblical writings. You're just going to find it in historical writings. Tradition tells us that he was tremendously gifted with the power of God to heal the sick like none of the other ones. Amazing things. Tradition says that there was a Syrian king. Adgar was his name. History says that there was a Syrian king named Adgar. And that he had become very ill and he sent for Thaddeus to come and to heal him. On his way to Damascus, to the king, it says that he healed hundreds of people throughout the nation of Syria. When he reached to the king, got to the king's palace, he healed him and preached Christ to him. And the king was saved. The king was saved. Became a believer. Which threw Syria into chaos. History says, tradition says, that Agar's nephew was very upset about this, that he had become a Christian. And he had Thaddeus thrown into prison for causing the chaos in his country where he was beaten to death with a club. If that's true, then it confirms that he was a man of great courage, which fits his name, Lubius. Listen, brothers and sisters, I want to share with you something. I read you that letter that I have received in the condition of the church I will tell you, I have been at a couple of different places in my ministry and my times of teaching where it was uh, dangerous to do what I was doing. When I went to Baku, uh, before I got out of the airport, they told me that if you got any Christian literature, keep it hidden and don't expose it publicly. Well, so that's fine. I, I had a backpack with me that had my Bible and everything. They said, no, even if you've got stuff in your room, Make sure you put it in the closet hidden 
so that no those who would come in and clean don't see it. And, and it's funny because <laughs> my uh, closet had this like six pack of prayer rugs. Okay, and the guy who took me up to my room showed me where Mecca was so I could pray. I appreciated that. So I hid my Bibles and stuff under those prayer rugs. Because that's holy to them. And if someone's using them, then you don't mess with those rugs. And I didn't know that. I just got lucky. Let me tell you something. It takes a lot of courage to die with Christ. Remember I shared with you Thomas? They had left Jerusalem because they were trying to kill him. Lazarus had died, and Jesus says, let's go back to Jerusalem. And everybody said, no, nah, we can't go back to Jerusalem. They're, they're trying to kill you. And Thomas says, let us go back and die with him. Okay? You can go through a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs and see infinitum of people who refused to deny Christ and were martyred. I remember under the communist um, takeover of China, a number of Christians who died there and um, they had surrounded this church that was full of kids, young kids. And uh, the communists said, come out and deny Christ and we'll let you go free. First little boy walked out. Communist soldiers were standing out in front of him. First little boy says, I deny Christ and walked away. Second was a little girl. She came out. He says, deny Christ. And she smiled and said, never. They shot her. Right there. 280 of them piled up, refusing to deny Christ. You know what? It's difficult to die for Christ. But you know what's harder? To live for Him. To live for Him. Someone puts a gun to your head and says, deny Christ or die. Most of us, I hope, would say, go ahead, shoot. But how do you do when it comes to living for him? The Apostle Paul writing to a young Timothy, his last letter that he ever wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and discipline. I'm not sure that it doesn't take more courage to live for Him than to die for Him. If you know Him, then we can face anything. I don't care what it is. If we love Christ, we will receive His Word. If we love Christ, we do not argue. 
John's Gospel, chapter 14, I shared with you a little moment of that, where he made in verse 22, he says, Judas, not Iscariot. Okay. But here's how the context folds out. In verse 21, Jesus says this. He's in the upper room. This is part of the upper, what they call the upper room discord. And it concludes with John 17, his prayer. Shortly thereafter, he leaves the temple area and they go down. He goes across the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives. There he is arrested and then by dawn, he is murdered. But he says this. He's speaking to his disciples there in the upper room. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and disclose myself to him. I know a bunch of people right now who have a whole bunch of Bible facts, but Christ has never disclosed themselves to him, to that individual. And right there's the reason. Now, you say, well, what the heck has that got to do? Jesus says, I will reveal myself to those who love me. Those who receive me. Now, I want to show you something here that is totally mind-numbing if you think about it. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Verse 22 is the only thing that Thaddeus ever said that shows up in Holy Scripture. Look what it is. Verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? I would say that Thaddeus is a man of few words. And he had but one question. It's the only thing that's recorded in Scripture. He did not understand Christ's statement. It did not line up with Messiah. It did not line up with the ruler of Israel. It did not come to his concept. He was like the other disciples. He was convinced that Messiah was going to come and he was going to overthrow the Roman oppressors and he was going to free God's people and set up an everlasting kingdom in the nation of Israel. I will have an earthly kingdom. He will take up David's throne. He will reign as Lord. He will reign as Savior to all. How could he do that without revealing who he was to everybody? Because that's what it says. How is it that you're going to only reveal yourself to those who love you? 
How is it that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? How do you overthrow the world if you don't tell them who you are? Simple, verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him, and we will make our abode with him. Jesus repeats that only those who love him will be able to perceive and to receive. I have seen, I call them mixed marriages. And what it is, is a believer and an unbeliever. And it happens different ways. Uh, sometimes one gets saved after the marriage. Uh, sometimes um, an unbeliever will deceive a believer and, and they get married. And I call them mixed marriages. I have also seen the turmoil that that shows. I have seen it on both sides. I've seen it where the, the, the woman was saved and the husband wasn't. I have seen it where the man was saved and the woman wasn't. Okay? And there's always a conflict. Always a conflict. Why? You can't serve two masters. Okay, it's a little harder, I think, maybe for women. And the reason that I say that is that because biblical authority, you hear my commandments, then you obey it. Biblical authority says you are to do what to your husband, ladies? I didn't hear an amen out of that one. <laughs> How weird was that? You know, it's that submit, which is sort of like pig Latin, obey. But anyway, I, you know, God bless you. And I've dealt with some of you who are married to unbelievers. But the issue is not what you think it is because that lost spouse has absolutely no ability to receive truth. So why would you hold them to it? If they had the ability to obey the Scripture, they don't need a Savior. They have no ability. They don't have it. Now, I've also seen it where the it was in a woman's case where she made her unbelieving husband so miserable that he divorced her. And she felt like that she was justified. Um, and I'm still to this day going, oh, man, that, that ain't the way that dog hunts, lady. But anyway, <laughs> she, she doesn't stay in my sphere of influence. But anyway, uh, do you see what I'm trying to get at? There are people filling the pews of the church today who have never received Jesus Christ. Why? Their lives don't love Him. If they don't love Him, they can't perceive Him. And, and, I, and that goes back to what I was sharing with you. We have moved from the great commandment to make learners to converts. Say this prayer, you'll be saved. Where is that in the Bible? I don't ever see that. I've, now listen, I've read that. What do they call it? The sinner's prayer? No way is that the serenity prayer? I don't know. One of them prayers, I read it. And then you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. So what? So what? 
So what? It doesn't say, say this prayer and you'll be saved. Because if it would, then we could narrow this book down to just say this. And have you, have you ever seen it with the, the evangelists? I'm not an evangelist, but I've seen evangelists. And it says, okay, now, if, if you raise your hand or whatever they, they get you to do, uh, and then say this prayer, and if you say this, then stand up or whatever is, is, is the gimmick that they're using. And I call it a gimmick. And everybody says, we well, can't. No, it's a gimmick. Nah. Do you perceive Jesus Christ? Do you understand who he is? Even Thaddeus, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Those who love him will be able to perceive him. If you can perceive him, you will receive him. Those are the ones that he and the father will have their abode so what the Apostle Paul, if you go back through and you look at some of his writing, he has this phenomenal statement that I just I am in awe with. And it says, we are in him. That's amazing to me. It was amazing to Paul. He says, you can't separate me and Jesus. That's just cool. I don't care who you are. He has taken up abode with me. He dwells me. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. It says, I pray that the Holy Spirit will strengthen you in the inner man. Why? So that Christ will be comfortable in you. He will dwell in you. And then God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or imagine. So when, you know, people say, well, you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. No, you're indwelled with the Godhead. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God. That's awesome. That's why you can read this thing and go, wow, that makes sense. And I can let other people read it and they're going, I don't understand that. And I'm like, yeah, I know. This very brief conversation of Thaddeus between the Lord addresses the exact heart of Christianity. It isn't those who say they love God who are true, but those who receive Christ and obey his word. Listen, I have a phrase. I can't remember who told me it, but it's, it's a good phrase. It's not because they have to, but it's because they want to. There's all kinds of things you can do that you have to. You know, I to this day, I do not understand after I pass that intersection right up there by the Church of Christ. Why does it go to 35 miles an hour? And the guy sits down there at the Pentecostal church and waits to give you a ticket. And it's a racket. I know it's a racket. There's nothing happens. It's 45. It should be 45 all the way into town. Or at least to this Stoplight down here on Gilbert. And so when I go to 35, you know why? It's not because I want to. It's because I have to. Right? 
when it comes to the things of Jesus Christ, it should be a want to. But if you think about it, if you've ever fallen in love, think about the corny things you used to do because you wanted to. Wasn't because you had to, but you just wanted to. And some of you guys, I never done nothing. Yeah, that's, just, that's why you guys look the way you look. Uh, <laughs> but there's times in that dating process that, gosh, I want to. Okay, how many times, guys, have you lost sleep or stayed up late because of her? Okay, now once you get married, you don't do that anymore, but you used to. Okay, why? Because I want to. Why? Because I love her or I love him. How do you feel about Jesus Christ? Think about it. You should read your Bible every day. You should pray without ceasing. That's what it says. All right? No problem. I can handle it. Is it because I have to? Or is it because I want to? Okay, I heard an illustration on prayer. Prayer to a Christian should be like breathing. Sometimes I'm aware of it. Sometimes I'm not. But I am always doing it. Your relationship with Jesus Christ should be the same way. Verse 23, Jesus answered him and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. I will live with them. If they love me, they will keep my word. I'll wrap it up. Question. Thaddeus was courageous, tradition says. Thaddeus was courageous when he asked this question. Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? It's heart of Christianity. Does obedience to the word characterize our lives? Or... Is the word of God a have to or a want to? I had a friend of mine who was preaching in the Sudan. <laughs> and they went to church and it was night. It was in this little tent thing. And there was a few hundred people there. And uh, so he's getting ready to go in. He said it was about... 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And his name is Ramesh. And he said, <laughs> he looks over and he said, uh, is this dangerous what we're doing? And the guy looked at him and said, no, not really. He said, so why are we meeting at night? He said, well, it's easy. Nicodemus came to Jesus when? At night. Fascinating. Another time he was in the Muslim area and he went in there and uh, people were bringing in chickens. And everybody had chickens. And he says, but what are we doing with all the chickens? 
He says, we're going to offer them up. And he says, what? He says, well, they're taking us through uh, Exodus and Leviticus. And it says that they would bring birds in and offer them up. And he politely tried to refer them to the New Testament. (laughs) Save the chickens. Get you some eggs. You know, have an omelet. (laughs) Our obedience to Christ is directly proportionate to the measure of our love for Him. Interesting concept, don't you think? We struggle. We've moved the things of God from a want to to a have to. Or sometimes it never even became a want to. Have you ever seen the angry Christians? The grumpy Christians? They're doing it all right. You can tell it by the wrinkles on their forehead. But you watch them and you think, man, I I don't see the love there. Spiritual maturity is based on how quick I listen to what the king is saying. Because I know, I, I know that none of you here have ever done this. But in my life, I have done this a couple of times. I have debated God. Let me tell you how this ought to work out here, Lord. Because it's obvious you're not getting the memo. And so I explain it to him. Okay. It always works out well for me. Okay. But see right there, that's not obedience when you are, let us disseminate what the Lord really meant by this. You know what? My Bible does not have a spin doctor that goes with it. I've never had any problems reading the Bible and understanding what it said. I have had some problems of, why'd you do that? I mean, what we're reading in Exodus about the breastplate and the 12 gems and all around, what was that all about? Read on. You'll find out what it's all about. Because I'm just contrary enough today that I ain't telling you. Okay? It's for a purpose. If we are His, we were created for good works that He preordained, then... He understands what we should and what we should not do before we even were conceived in our mother's wombs. And yet, for whatever reason, we all think we have to inform him or argue with him. Daddy has said, I don't understand why you're here to set the world straight and you won't tell the world who you are. And yet, what was our responsibility? We praise the Lord. We praise the Lord with our lives. Okay? And it should be seen in our response to the Word of God as a want to. I'm responding to a love letter. And I want to. Not because I have to. People say, well, why do you go to church all the time? Because I want to. Even if I wasn't teaching, I still want to. What are my alternatives? Let's go hang out with Lucifer. Now I think I'm going to go to church. Okay? Thaddeus. Thaddeus.
Judas, son of James. Judas, son of James. The Lord leads. Let's pray that the Lord is leading us. Father, help us to hear you. Help us to be aware of you. Help us to rejoice in you. Help us to be overwhelmed by you. Father, I thank you for these men. I am nearing the end of this. And uh, yet, you have blessed me so much with understanding and looking at these people. Father, I long for that day that I will meet these men face to face, even though the longing to see Jesus Christ is greater. These guys, hmm, these guys, you turned our planet upside down. Thank you, my King. May we, who are called by your name, fall more and more in love with you with every breath you grace us. Till that day our faith becomes sight. To you, my King, my Lord. Amen.